I think it's important that we recognize that we really haven't done a good job in Christendom of walking with God. I think it would be pretty self-evident to us that if we did a really good job of walking with God, we would be doing a lot better. And the kingdom would be doing a lot better if God had the ability to be more present in the earth through his people. And so we have to start off there. Let's get that out of the way and realize that we have a bit to go. We have a lot to learn and we have a lot to understand about our relationship with God. Otherwise, we're going to go back into that, you know, just let's just pretend everything is going well rather than let's get it to go well. And so it's kind of the, my heart when it comes to understanding this particular passage of Scripture because it, it speaks to who you are. It speaks to why you're here. It speaks to the purposes of God when he considered this whole concept of humankind. And what is the nature and the meaning of life as we know it? Because we can get wrapped up in all kinds of things. We may spend a bit of time today in talking about them. Other philosophies and other ways of trying to understand the world around us. But God has been very specific in developing, crea- uh, in, in, in designing creation and then in designing you as the prince and princess, the queen, king and queen of this dimension, of this creation that he had in Genesis, in, made. in Genesis chapter 1, we know that God created all that we know, all the, 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 this dimension that we live in. And then he created man in his image and likeness. That's verse 26 there. And most of us think that you know, what we're trying to do is go back to the person that God created in Genesis chapter 1 rather than be the person that we were supposed to be. Let's all, you know, see if we can get tickets back to the garden. And Genesis chapter 3 is a bit of a challenge because of that, because it kind of flies in the face of a lot of that stuff that we have understood up until this time. And so I'm going to spend a little bit more time here to make sure that we have understood exactly what this means. Because I think you can, you can, we had very spirited debates in my home. Actually, it was in Jess's home last Sunday, after last Sunday's time together. Uh, you know, simply to try and for them to, and for all of us to kind of come together and understand exactly what does this mean. You know, we're not, we don't, we're not looking for new doctrines so that we can write new books and do those kind of things. We're, we're looking to live this. Yeah. We're looking for this to be real in our lives, and we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that inside this book, the Holy Bible, can, is contained the secrets, the mysteries, the, the truth that we need in order for us to live life the way God intended us to live. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I can promise you, you can search the world over, and you will not find the answer to life. You will not find it on, the, on a mountain in Tibet or in the bottom of the sea or in the bottom of a bottle or in whatever it is you're looking for it in. You will not find it there. But you will find it in the pages of the Bible, the Word of God. How many of you say, you know what, if, you, if you're going to fix your, your, your whatever, Sony VCR, if we still have those, DVD players... You ought to go and ask Sony how to fix it. You ought to not go and ask your car mechanic how to fix your DVD player, right? And I think that's what we've done is we've consulted with people to try and understand things. And it was really built more on philosophy and, you know, blind people trying to lead blind people than it was to just go, oh, what the heck? Let's, I don't know, let's read our Bible maybe. 
In Genesis chapter 3, the challenging verse that I'm referring to in verse 22, and the Lord God said, behold, now remember where you are, uh, Genesis chapter 3 is after the apple, it's after the serpent, it's after God has basically kicked out Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. They have said, you know, now that this has happened, we need to be careful because we do not want them to eat from the tree of life, which would make us stuck in this dimension for all eternity. Uh, and so God removed us from the ability to be stuck here. And this is what he said in verse 22. And the Lord God said, behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put his hand forth and eat of the tree of life, we need to get him out of the garden. The challenging verse here is that now man, human, has become like one of us, God speaking. And so that's pretty challenging for us. That would mean that in Genesis chapter one, in verse 26, we weren't like God yet. We were in his image and likeness. We were the same hard drive. We had the same equipment. But in order for us to be in the image and likeness of God, we had to understand as he does, good and evil. Now that doesn't make God evil. Let's make sure we've covered some of these bases and ticked off some of these boxes. For somebody to know that there is such a thing as evil does not make that person evil. What makes that person evil is if he starts to do that which is evil. And God does not do that. And he does not intend for us to do that. But he has, and there's a very good reason, and I'll get to it in a minute. There's a very good reason why God needed to go through this gateway. And that is he was interested in humankind to be just like him. He needed us to be able to take hold of our divine nature. Now, that's pretty shocking even in itself for us to hear that we're not animals scraping in the dirt. We are not the grandchildren of some primordial scum somewhere in the bottom of a pond. We're not an accident of mother nature. We are not a product of eons of time and molecules smashing together in the great cotton. That's not who we are. We were designed and created to be children of Almighty God. Yes. Now, I know that it sounds challenging, but just allow your soul to open up for a moment and realize that that means you are a divine being. You have been created just like a divine being. <laughs> I'm sorry for the equation and the math here, but that makes you a divine being. In order for you to be a divine being, you must have one particular quality. There is one quality that separates humankind from every other kind and species that exists anywhere. It is not your opposable thumb, by the way. It is your ability to choose. What makes you divine and what makes you like God is your God-given ability to choose for yourself. What God needed, now remember, if we were just looking at sort of like the way we would all want to raise our children, as that's what I want to do. I want to put my grandchildren in very small cages where the only person they talk to is me. Not that that would mean I have the only right things to say. Yes, I know that's your foot. I'm sorry. In the Garden of Eden, where 
Adam and Eve, Adam first, Eve after, walked in the cool of the day with God. The only person they, they had an opportunity to talk with was God. Now, if all you understand is, a, is life according to the way I say that it is, I have actually effectively taken away your ability to choose something outside of what I have said to you. Does anyone understand that? In order for God to give us an actual ability to choose, he must give us at least another, one other choice. Because if I just, if there's only, it's only pepperoni pizza up here and I say you can have any kind of pizza you want, I'm not really giving you a choice. I'm only giving you a choice if there's a pepperoni pizza up here and a bacon pizza up here. Now I know which one you're going to, of course, everybody's going to choose the bacon. Of course, it's the best pizza in the world. But at least you have a choice. The other thing that is necessary, and one of the, one of the things I, would, I have been for so long trying to understand why or how the whole apple thing even happened? Because you're not supposed to be able to see or perceive things other than the things you already believe. And so when the serpent comes along and tries to beguile me, right. I, I'm supposed to reject the beguiling because I have no context of the beguileness. For example, if, the, if I speak French... And the devil shows up and he speaks some other, I can't give it a language because then I would be, you know, be making fun of it. And then let's say I'll make fun of English since that's what I am. I, the devil shows up and speaks English. I'm not going to understand anything the devil is saying. He cannot beguile me because he does not speak the same language as me. Isn't that true? And so in order for God to give, to, to actually have given us choice, he needs one at least two choices. And two, he needs to put in me the desire to be independent or the desire to make a choice just because I want to make it. Because he can give me two choices. Like I can put two choices of, you know, I can put whatever, I, I, what, uh, chewing gum on my back patio and I can put walnuts on my back patio and, but I'm not really giving the squirrels a choice because inside of them is not the ability to wonder one day, would I like some chewing gum? They are predisposed to only want the walnuts. Is that true? So inside of a human being, there must be a curiosity. There must be a desire to be themselves. That's why we have it with our children. And that's a terrible thing. I wish God would not have done this, particularly to my children. When they decide at six, seven, or eight years old that they want to make decisions themselves. You know, you know mommy, me do it. They want to do it themselves. What is that? That's not bad. That's necessary. In order for you actually to have this divine ability to choose... God has got to put the programming in you that wants to be autonomous. I want to be able to choose for myself. Yes, 
That's really the nature of, you remember in Deuteronomy chapter 30, where God says, you know, all of heaven, I'm calling all of heaven and earth. Everybody get your pencils and pens out in heaven because I need you to make a record. Everybody write this down. I am giving mankind a choice. I'm setting before them right now, blessing and cursing, life and death. I'm giving them the choice. Could you imagine the, what happened in heaven at that moment? I'm giving you a choice. You choose. In order for you to choose, you have to have the mechanism, the programming, the software on the inside of you that desires to choose, and then it must actually have a choice. How many of you have seen Edge of Tomorrow? Did anybody see that? Remember any Tom Cruise fans in the room? Do you remember the one where he keeps on coming back to life again and every time he did it? Anyways, you get the idea. They do something in the movie. It doesn't work out right. He gets el morto and back, they start back at the beginning and he goes through it again and again and, until he figures out how to get all the way to the end and kill the bad guy. I was thinking to myself, I think that's what God should have done. I save us a whole lot of trouble. If he would have just got to Genesis chapter three, the whole Apple thing was happened and all he does is hit the rewind button on the DVD player, go back a bit and say, okay, I'm gonna program Adam and Eve to not like apples or snakes. And then we would have run it again and it wouldn't have had a problem. Except when another problem happened and then God goes back to the beginning again and rewinds it again and starts over. And then every time, every time it goes wrong between creation and the wedding supper of the lamb, any problem that ever comes up, just rewind it back to the beginning, get that person out of the equation or reprogram them somehow so that they won't make that mistake. Wouldn't you think that would have been a better way to do this? Wouldn't that have saved humanity a ton of torment? The only problem is, if God would have done that, he was effectively taking away your choice. You wouldn't know that because you were blithely, naively kind of wandering through this repetitive process of time being repeated until God figures it all out. But that was not what God is looking for. And it can twist our inner reality when we try to understand, then what the heck is God doing? Because it certainly seems like it's maybe not been going so awesome. When we can grab hold of this, I'm telling you, it's going to transform your understanding of who and what and why you even exist you see, in Genesis chapter 9, we have a visit with God because in the beginning, we know that God was kind of ticked off about this whole humankind thing. He had gone from all the way from Genesis chapter 3 to Genesis chapter 6. That's a heck of a long way, right? Three pages of your Bible and God had had enough of this experiment that was human. By Genesis chapter 6, we see that God, God's reference to it is that the imaginations in the heart of men were only evil continually. 
And so his answer to that was to separate a couple of people that were the, that were the top of the righteousness pile at that time and wipe everybody out, everybody else out, every living creature on this planet wiped out in a moment. The flood. But it, that was in Genesis chapter 6. After all that is said and done, now we have finally got Genesis chapter 9. If you remember where you are, there's a, God is getting off, Adam, uh, Noah is getting off the ark, and God is meeting with Noah, and he makes a covenant with Noah. And part of that covenant with Noah was, I will never do this again. Now, that's sort of saying God throwing up his hands and being exasperated. That's not actually what he was doing. He was saying, Noah, listen to me. Now, it's up to you. I'm not fixing this problem ever again. And he said, I'm going to set a rainbow. All, all the kids, all the children in, in, uh, in Sunday school know this one. God set a, a rainbow in the sky as his token, as his marker, as his reminder to us that God's never going to do this. Now, he's never going to start over. The next time this thing all goes into oblivion, it's going to be because God has got a new plan starting. He's not starting the old plan again. What does that mean? That means that the, your choice is the key choice. It means that God has given the responsibility for blessing and cursing, life and death, to humans. <clears throat> And that's kind of going to bend your brain a little bit. Let me ask you a question. There's, there's 10 people in the room, and everybody's trying to decide what color to paint this room. And they're all coming up with their ideas, and they've kind of got to settle down to two or three colors. And then the, somebody's in the room, the couple, they, get a, they vote, and then they get the vote, and then they decide what color the room is supposed to be. And then this short little, you know, five foot three lady walks into the room and she says, no, 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 that color is going to be that one. What do we know? We're gonna, well, excuse me? Who's in charge? Char we know who the boss is, right? Can I tell you what that's called? In business terms, that's called the veto. In the end of the day, that's why that's my, my job around here is pretty easy because I, I don't make almost any decisions around here. The only decisions that I make around here are the veto decisions. When we go off kind of the track of where I believe the Lord is asking this ministry to go and directing us to go, most of the decisions that are being made are totally fine on the highway of where we are going. Every now and again, there's a decision that's over here. And I go, no. And then I leave. That's, that's it. That's my whole, that's, well, there you are. You know, because I'm not a micromanaging guy. I don't need to be involved in all of the different things. I trust the people that are being given. I, I don't give them responsibility unless I trust them. <laughs> and then when I do give them it, I, I, I trust them. But there's every now and again, you can always tell who the boss is because the boss is the guy with the veto. Right? right? Oh, who has the veto power? Because that'll tell you in this earth, who the boss is. It's simple. What we need to understand is that 
you have me. I have veto power in my life. Do you know that God would have me a lot more blessed than I am right now? How many of you know that there will be, well, yes, there is no more blessed than I am right now. You're right, but God would desire so much more is about my life than I've actually attained up until this time. Same with all of us. Because God would have us to all look like Jesus if he, could get, if he could get us there. That's the important component here. What God's actually trying to do is get us to the place where we can be the people who God intended us to be from the very beginning of time. He cannot do that by usurping our ability to choose who we are going to be. That is the veto power that you have over your life, over your destiny. We have this thing, we call it the sovereignty of God. And that is this concept that because God is over all, then he is sovereign, which means that he actually controls everything. And, and most of what that means is we don't really have choice. Cho choice is actually an illusion. We don't really have choice. God makes it seem like you have a choice. It's kind of like you do with your grandchildren. You give them the choice of either this healthy breakfast or this healthy breakfast. So technically they have a choice, but they don't really have a choice. But they're the same ingredients. They just made their, their food coloring in one and no food coloring in the other, but they have the same ingredients. They don't actually have it. It's an illusion. It's, it's the predestination concept or the, that everything is already said and done. <clears throat> that comes from an understanding that God is eternal, which means to God, this is a, maybe a little technical here, to God, time is a commodity. It's a malleable commodity. It's not like it for us. We have second by second, we have the one thing in all of creation that we do not control is time. And we are marching second by second through time in a very linear and, and, and chronological mechanism. Every day, it's one day later. And you cannot, under any circumstances, go backwards. That's not the case for God. God lives in the timeless realm of eternity where time, you can move backwards and forwards or you are, again, I don't understand how exactly God sees things, but he can see 5,000 years ago and 5,000 years from now at exactly the same time. He's looking at them like you would look at a linear line. He sees time like that. And what that means is that he's able to see what you are going to do tomorrow. He's able to understand that. He can see whether you've done it or not. And now you are back in the beginning, but God already knows where it's going to end up. So in fact, you're seeming like you are making choices all along this road, but you're not actually making choices. Everything is already set. And that would seem to make sense. And I think philosophically, this is the place where we have got all messed up. Because from a human perspective as we try to understand God, if in fact all of history is already set, then clearly I don't really have a choice. The road of where I will be tomorrow is already, it already exists. 
I'm just the little foolhardy human that is going to think they have this autonomy in the process and kind of end up getting there. But, you know, strive as I might, push as I might. I may want to create more. I may want to invent more. I may want to do more. I may want to build more. I may want to experience more. I may want to make more. Uh, but I can't, really. That's kind of a futile thing, actually, because tomorrow is already set up. We might as well just, as Doris Day would say, you know, que sera, sera. What will be, will be. What is, my tomorrow is already set. It's already completely a waste of time. Doesn't that excite you? You see, the problem is, is that though people will say that, Doris Day will even sing that. She passed last month, and I'm, you know, sorry to hear that. But I can promise you, if you do any study of Doris Day's life, she was an activist kind of a person. She did not believe que sera, sera. She did not sit at home doing nothing her entire life. She went and built and created and established and put together and took the causes that meant something to her in her life, and she did something about them in order that the world would be a better place because of her influence on it. She was not a fatalistic person. But yet so many people, and I think a predominant percentage of Christianity, kind of have that, you know, lay down, it really doesn't matter anyways because I can't change anything because I know God and I know he's eternal and I know he knows where I'm going to end up and it's just going to be that's the end of the day. So, oh well, I guess it's whatever. It's like a cosmic hopelessness that if you are a fate person, a karma person, a predestination person, it kind of takes the wind out of your sails. It takes the gas out of your tank. What are you actually trying for? You're trying to beat fate? That's not going to work. But we got to deal with that whole mechanism because if it's not fate, then what is it? Because if choice is not an illusion, it cannot be an illusion. Obviously, it's in your Bible. It's the truth. That's what God has given you. It is a possession of yours that you get to choose. Your life is not predestinated. It is not fated to be or not to be something very specific that you have no control over. Let me ask you a question. Either choice is an illusion or fate is an illusion. They cannot both be real. I'm going to submit to you today that fate is an illusion. I'll tell you why. It's, and it's a very powerful illusion. Fate says, uh, the people who observe the world from a fate, a, a predestined way of thinking about it. Am I saying this properly? Are you understanding where I'm going? When, you have, when your future is already set and you cannot influence it, you were born the way you were born, your every day of your life has already been predetermined, you are just living it like on a DVD, a movie that's on a DVD. And you have no power over that. Instead, we go look at what are the things that people who believe in fate are observing 
to see what it is that they think fate is actually real. And for an illusion to work, it has to seem real. And the problem is, is that we have all kinds of spiritual things that are actually in motion, that make it look like I am stuck in a current, I'm stuck in a river that is flowing in a particular direction. Try as I might to get out of that current, I'll try to swim against it, I'll try and swim away from it. No matter what I try to do, I always seem to end up in exactly the right spot. I go get, try to make more money, I end up in the same spot. I try to have more friends, I end up in the same spot. I try to be a nicer person, I end up in the same spot. I try to get an invention, I end up in the same spot. I try to do something valuable, I end up in the same spot. And they would say, no matter how hard you try, you cannot get away from fate. You are going to end up where you are destined to end up no matter how hard you try. How sad that is. But what they are observing is actually real. There is a current. We, are, we know from scripture that there is a, a generational force. The sins of the fathers create a propensity. They lean me in a particular direction. That I'm, I was raised in a middle-class home and I end up in a middle-class home. I think in a middle-class way, I end up in a middle-class way. I think like a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant and I end up like a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. Everything kind of goes the way I was generationally flowing. Breaking free from that flow is completely possible. Yes. Then you get born into a certain culture. And that culture has a certain flavor to it, has a, has a certain normal thing. It has a, has a flow of what is expected of you and how you're supposed to govern yourself. And that societal, cultural kind of thing is tending to move you down a certain way. There's economic reasons where you can't break free or can't break free. You're just stuck in this, you know, the grind of the economic cycle that you find yourself in. There's nothing you can do about that. You, but, if you, but if you don't know how to get out, then it would look like fate is actually working. Because if you don't know how to get out of the river, then you're going to end up exactly where the river is taking you. You maybe paddle a wee bit here and get exasperated, paddle a wee bit there and get disappointed until you give up. Until you're exhausted from the battle. And sure enough, come back a year later. I end up right where I was heading before. And it appears to natural observers that in fact, fate is real. You don't actually have any choice at all. Now, can I tell you something? The reason Jesus came, the, the reason Jesus came was to get you out of the river. To get you out of that predetermined, you are going to be the son of your father and you are going to produce what your father produced. And on and on it goes, a cycle after, no offense to fathers, of course, I am one, 
right? We're, we're, we're constantly in this grind where humanity is stuck in the next generation repeating what the last generation did, except a little bit worse and a little bit worse and a little bit worse and a little bit worse. That humanity was heading to the very deepest and darkest of places. It's what Jesus actually came to set us free from. It's the reason the Holy Spirit, thou art with me. It's the reason we talked this last week where Jesus said, I got to, it's expedient. It's better for you. It's profitable for you that I leave because when I leave, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you something, the guy who knows how to get you out of that river is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit knows how to unlock all of those hidden, invisible chains that lock you to this fate, what appears to be this fateful life where you have absolutely no choice and no control over anything. You're just going to end up where you were supposed to end up in the beginning. Instead of that, God's whole purpose was to get the Holy Spirit here so that the Holy Spirit could show you, you individually, how do you get out? Until we recognize that we were given sovereignty, right? In the garden, we were given sovereignty. The devil stole our sovereignty. And then Jesus came to give us back our sovereignty. You get to choose the very direction of your life. You get to choose where you end up in life. You get to choose whether your destiny or your purpose, your God divine destiny gets accomplished or not. That veto power is in your hands. See, we don't like this because that sounds like a whole heck of a lot of responsibility right there. But can I tell you something? The smallest of decisions make the biggest of differences. Imagine, I, th always, I always think about this, where we would be if John Wilkes Booth would have missed and Abraham Lincoln would have lived or JFK would have lived or whatever. I'm just picking on a couple of common examples. The smallest of things would have gone a different direction. How much different would our world would have been? If Winston Churchill did not command the forces of the allies, where would we be? right now. Every one of us have a destiny like that. There's nobody that has ever drawn breath on this planet that God did not determine that their life was so valuable and meaningful that he would put them here. There is no such human being, not anywhere, not in the richest houses or the poorest houses of the world. No human being has ever been created without a destiny that matters. But should we never divorce our soul from the concepts of destiny or that, in that sense, in predestination or fate or karma or whatever, we will simply be in a canoe waiting to see where the river takes us. As a matter of fact, a lot of people would say that's what spiritual maturity actually is. And we can finally get beyond our own cravings to matter and to do something and to create and invent and build. When we finally get all that ambition off of our shoulders. We can finally rest in our little floaty device and just 
Let God take us where he wants to take us. Can I tell you something? That is not God. God does not want lifeless, limp, wet noodles laying on a, on a beach towel waiting to see where the river of this natural world is going to take them. I can promise you that is not God. Because he wasted a whole bunch of trees painting, doing a whole bunch more Bible than just, hey, float on this and see where I can end up. God says, choose. See, the Holy Spirit came because God wanted us to be able to choose. He set us free to understand, again, good and evil. We already had good and evil locked down. We knew a lot about evil. Uh, well, I'm, anyways, I'm not going to... We won't go to quite there yet, but... The Holy Spirit is here to help us to choose like God would choose. He's going to give us God's perspective. So somebody comes up to you and spits in your face. You think it's smart to spit back. And that little voice inside of you is going to say, don't do that. And you're thinking, I'm sorry, who's that? (laughs) Obviously, if someone spits in your face, you should spit back. There's no debate on this. I can stand up for my own rights. And the Holy Spirit says again, don't do that. See, because you used to spit in God's face. Ever wonder what it would be like for God to spit in yours? You'd be just like a greasy spot on the floor if God ever spat in your face. Because God would never do that. And that's the Holy Spirit's job. That's a very simple example. But all the way through life, every decision, a million of them every day that you are making are all impacting your life and then by extension impacting all of humanity for all time is being determined by the decisions that you are making regularly every day, all the time. They're all being determined. Nothing that you do is inconsequential. Nothing doesn't matter. That's why the Holy Spirit isn't like a guy saying, oh, you know, pop in, maybe we can do a, a 15 minutes on a Sunday, you know, ask me a few questions, and then off you go, whoo. He's not, no, he's, that's not what he's looking for. He's looking for daily, minute by minute, second by second, interaction with us, showing us, helping us, giving us perspective. There's no, uh, help me, Lord. Am I done? How much time do I have? I'm done already. Okay. Praise the Lord. Amen. Here's where we're going to go. We'll have to part three. Here we go. Learning to walk with the Holy Spirit is not some religious thing that we do to kind of, you know, the way our church does this. The ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, he's the mentor. See, I want to be like Jesus. Okay, good. How the heck are you going to do that? Unless the guy that helped Jesus. Hello? Unless the guy that helped Jesus will also help you. See, I just get scares people sometimes. You know, the Bible says Jesus grew yes. in wisdom 
and understanding and stature. And that word grew is a word that means to be, pound, to, to be a piece of metal pounded out with a hammer. Jesus grew. How did he grow? He had, was, he had the Holy Spirit. He didn't have sin on his life because anyways, bah, 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 bah. we'll do that another time. The, same, the Holy Spirit taught Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is ready to teach you and me. If we do that, every, what's that, what's that going to look like? Not like, well, you know, when I get to be a pastor one day. That, no, 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 no. No, this is right now. Yes. Holy Spirit, what, what, do you want, what do you want me to do today, Thank Holy Spirit? Jesus. Wake up tomorrow morning and say, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do today? Mm-hmm. Okay, not that. What, what else do you want me to do? <laughs> okay, not that either. Okay, what else do you want? No, 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 don't do that. No. Right? Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do today? Say you're sorry. Yeah, no, 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 that's the devil for sure. Wasn't my fault. No, you see, you got to learn. Yes. You got to, yeah, go to LCSM. You got to follow. It's in those things that we do when we ask him and we ask him and we listen and we ask him and we listen and we ask him and we listen and we ask. What's happening? It's like a mentorship arrangement. What's happening over time when we allow that to happen and we surround ourselves with people who we can bounce things off of, who pray for us, who will, yes. maybe they have life experiences, yes. testimonies. Maybe they're, gonna, they're willing to lead us or maybe mentor us in a natural sense. Or all of those things that are going on around us is all the work, this divine, crazy work of the Holy Spirit trying to get us to understand what would God do yes. if he was in your situation? Then, I know know this seems self-evident, but it is not. Then, simply do that. Come on. And we start to learn who and what and why we are even here to start with. Amen. Amen. Can I tell you what your heart's going to do with that? When it starts to realize that there was a bigger reason for you to be here yes. rather than you? Yeah. Yes, come on. When it realizes your life matters more come than on. you have ever thought it mattered. Yes. When you start to realize that your decisions, that your life you, matters. Yes. I'm telling you, everything is about to change. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that your life was impacted by this service and you are able to feel the tangible love of Jesus fill whatever space you're listening from. Maybe you found this message and you've never had the opportunity to come into a personal relationship with Jesus or you've known about him but been far from him. We want to give you the opportunity to make his love a daily reality in your life. Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross so that you could be close to him. He wanted to wipe away every disappointment and bring you into a life of purpose and meaning. One that will impact this globe for good. If you'd like to begin this journey with Jesus today, then just repeat this simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I'm praying this prayer because I know that I've made mistakes and been living without you. 
I apologize and I trust that you will forgive me. I accept your love and grace and ask that you would be my Savior and my Lord. Help me believe in you and love you every day and help me to show the world what you're like and how great your love is. I commit to live for you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. All of our Light City family are joining with heaven and celebrating over the commitment you have just made to make Jesus the Lord of your life. We have resources available for you to help you on this journey. And most of all, we're praying for you. Send us a note at info at golightcity.com to let us know about the decision you've made today. We have resources we would love to send you with some easy steps on where to go from here so that you can discover God in a real and meaningful way. If you have a prayer request, our team would love to connect with you and partner with you to see God transform your life. God bless you and we look forward to hearing from you real soon.